As we get started, I have a question for you. Is it okay for believers to have seasons of doubt? As a youth pastor, I had, I had youth that struggled with this reality of that they had doubts. And, and it would cause them to say, well, I must not be a believer because I'm struggling with doubt. Does having seasons of doubt as a believer mean that we're a lesser Christian or maybe not even a Christian at all? I mean, by the way, aren't, I mean, aren't we supposed to have faith that can withstand anything that comes our way? Where does doubt fall into that? Truth is, is that Satan and his minions want us to believe that it's not okay for us to doubt anything. The enemy wants us to feel lesser and maybe even believe that because of our doubt, we don't, we're not truly saved. Yes, we are to have faith, but just because as a believer, if we doubt, that doesn't mean that our faith is weak. In fact, I would say that it means just the opposite, because we're willing to take that doubt and those questions to God himself. But the enemy wants to twist it and say, well, if you're, if you're questioning your faith, then maybe your faith isn't really what you say it is. The church family ought to be the place of such love that for one another that when we go through seasons of doubt like this, we can find a brother or sister in Christ that is able to walk along that journey with us. Sad thing is, oftentimes, because of the doubt that we wrestle with on our own, we're not willing to reach out to another brother and sister in Christ because of the lies we find ourselves believing. Having doubts as a Christian is not only normal, it is for your growth. Because it means that you are asking God questions and wanting to know more. Two weeks ago, we started our series in Habakkuk. We saw that Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet. Uh, and this Old Testament prophet is named nowhere else in all of Scripture except for in this book. We also uh, taught that, pro uh, that he was a prophet who has this back and forth conversation with God. Right? He has this dialogue back and forth with, with God. And we, and we see some really hard questions being raised by Habakkuk in a time where he saw Judah experience this uh, revival only just to see them turn away from God altogether and become even more wicked. And he cries out to God and he says, Where are you, God? Why aren't you doing anything about all of this wickedness? And then last week, God responded to Habakkuk's concern and revealed that God is always on the move. He's always doing something, even when we don't see it. And in fact, he was already raising up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, to come in and conquer Judah as way of punishment for their wickedness. This morning, we're going to Bounce back to Habakkuk after he receives this answer from the Lord and see how Habakkuk responds. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to Habakkuk 1, starting in verse 12. 
If you don't have your own Bible, there are some in the chairs. I do encourage you to open your Bible. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. But as we have the Lord's Word open, let us pray and seek Him in this way. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for what a beautiful morning you've blessed us with this morning, Lord. And Lord, I'm reminded that your mercies are new every morning. So whatever we have come in with this morning, Lord, your mercies are afresh. You've given us more than we deserve. Lord, as we have your word open, Lord, I, I pray that you would give us eyes to understand and see you through your text, Lord. Help us to understand with ears that hear your voice. And Lord, remove any distractions that would prevent us from being intentional with you during this time. Lord, I pray that you would guide the rest of our service as you have already guided it thus far. As we simply just want to come and be with you. So Lord, you teach. You speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Habakkuk 1, starting in verse 12, Habakkuk's response to the Lord's answer. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of, of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury. And his food is rich. If he then is, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer according, uh, concerning my complaint. You know, sometimes reading is hard. <laughs> I feel like I'm tripping all over my, myself this morning. Habakkuk responds to the Lord's answer in verse 12. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? In this uh, opening statement, he uses, uh, there, there were three things that stood out about God. His name, Lord, L-O-R-D, is all capitalized, which references God's personal name, Yahweh. He says, are you not from, la from everlasting, O Yahweh, my God? Here, this God word is Elohim, which can mean God, supreme, or God's, little g. But it's specifically used for the supreme God, God himself. And so Habakkuk cries out, he says, are you not from everlasting, O Yahweh, my Elohim, my God? My holy one, which is kadash, which means holy, holy one, or saint. 
And if you don't know what holy means, that just means set apart, separate from, other than. He cries out, he says, you are from the beginning, you were from everlasting, O Yahweh, my Elohim, my Kadash. And then he goes, we shall not die. Now, if you have a different translation in front of you than the English Standard Version, your version might say, you shall not die. So which is it? We shall not die or you shall not die? Well, there's actually debate about this uh, among scholars and how to translate this. I will read out of my English Standard Version study Bible commentary. Wow, somebody pray for me. Wow, I am really tripping. I don't think the enemy wants this message to be heard. The writer of this commentary is Dr. Paul Wegner. And he says, quote, Several translations have, quote, You shall not die at this point, reflecting a later rabbinic tradition. This makes it easier reading than the abrupt change from you to we, but it finds no support in the Hebrew manuscripts or the Septuagint and should not be considered original. So what's taken place here? Sometime in history after the original text was given, scribes went back and made some revisions because they didn't like the way it came across and they're like, that's not actually how it was meant to be. It should have been God will not die. Was scripture originally given inerrantly or not is really what we're dealing with here. What ended up happening is uh, there were rabbis, the, the scribes, that you know, as history progressed and as the texts were collected at some point in time in history, which I could not seem to find on the internet, at some point in time in history, there was a group of scribes that made 18 different revisions in the Old Testament texts in specific places because when they went back and read those, those texts, they felt like that's not quite what they're trying to say there, and they revised it. So some translations use this new revision, which translates it, you shall not die, which is true. God cannot die. God is immortal, right? He, he's from everlasting. He cannot die. But in the context, I, I believe that the original language was true, that, that, that Habakkuk was saying, we shall not die. Habakkuk was just given revelation from the Lord that an invasion was coming of the Babylonians. Right? And his faith in God, understanding who he is, understands that God will protect them, ultimately. So, I kind of land in the way it's written. We shall not die. And he continues in verse 12. He says, O Yahweh, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. Ordained means appointed or placed them or established them. Which means that Habakkuk understood that God was in charge appointing the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to take over Judah. He understood this. He, he had good doctrine. He even understands why they're coming as reproof, which means correction or judgment. 
to convince or to convict. In other words, Habakkuk understood that this judgment was to convince Judah of their wickedness in order to repent and turn back to God. He got it. He understood it. Which leads to the first point is that Habakkuk had good doctrine. Now you might wonder, what does doctrine mean? Doctrine is a a belief or a set of beliefs held and taught, well, by the Webster Dictionary. It says, by a church, political party, or other group. Basically, it's a set of beliefs. It's what do you believe? That is what doctrine is, right? And what doctrine does Habakkuk show us that he holds on to here? God has always existed, and God is holy, And he also reveals one other that you have to look a little bit closer, that God is personal. He says, my God, my Holy One. This relationship, right? God is a personal God. He's not off in the distance, you know, twiddling his thumbs. This is good doctrine. Habakkuk knew God. He knew his character, and that's why he was so confused by the Lord's response with his first complaint. Where are you, Lord? Why aren't you doing something? The Lord responds, I already am, and I'm bringing in this evil nation to to conquer Judah as judgment. He goes, wait, 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 you're a holy God. You've existed before time. You're my God. It causes confusion to Habakkuk. He had good doctrine. He knew what he believed. Which begs back to this beginning, opening question. As a believer, have you ever had a question about your faith or God? Has there been something that along the way in your faith you've, you've wrestled with? We all have. And we all should. Because the reality is we are lifelong learners. God is infinite. There is no coming to full knowledge and understanding of the Lord this side of heaven. Like, we just can't. We have finite minds. Anyone who tells you otherwise, beware. Good doctrine leads us to faith-filled questions. Good doctrine leads us to faith-filled questions. National, worldly events impact our walk with God. There's no denying that. Habakkuk was, was impacted by what was going on around him. Just in his local context, yes, but, but God says, look to the nations and see I'm raising up this foreign nation, this evil nation, and they're going to come in. That's worldly events. There's no getting around the fact that the world that we live in has an impact on what we believe. Not that it should change what we believe, but it affects us. The world we live in affects us. Questions arise when our experiences cause us to question what we believe. Unfortunately, sometimes this can cause the believer to doubt what they thought they knew about God. And this is why discipleship and mentorship matters so much in the church today. It's always mattered, but it's specifically today. 
older generations who, who have gone through these same questions, who have, who have found God faithful through generations, are to bring the younger generations under their wing and, and say, it's okay to have these questions. I once did too, or I had a similar one. Too often, we go, well, God is good, and that's all you need to know. Right? Or Bible says it, I believe it, that's good enough for me. Yes, that's true. But younger generations wrestle with things, too. We all wrestle with things. Especially in the, today's world, like, where confusion is rampant. They're being taught that it's okay to, to identify otherwise. They're being okay that, that, this, you know, that some people live this way. And, and there's so much confusion. And as young believers who are living in this context, it's, it's hard for them to, to take those questions and go, I, I don't know what to do with this. Because this doesn't fit my biblical worldview. I need somebody to help me with this. Discipleship and mentorship is so important. And I should note that doubt, questions, is not the same thing as unbelief. They're two different things. They're similar, but doubt does not equal unbelief. I'm going to quote uh, Warren Wearsby. He says, The doubter questions God and may even debate with God, but the doubter does not abandon God. But unbelief is an act of rebellion against God, a refusal to accept what he says and does. Unbelief is an act of the will, while doubt is born out of a troubled mind and a broken heart. Unbelief is an act of the will. It's a choice. While doubt is born out of a troubled mind and a broken heart. Your kids, the younger generations, have a broken heart and a troubled mind. It's causing them to kind of wrestle with the Lord. It's causing them to wrestle with what they read in Scripture. Are we, as the older generations, prepared to walk a younger believer in the Lord? Are we, are we prepared to disciple? This leads to Habakkuk's second question. After making this doctrinal claim where he says in verse 12, are you not from everlasting? In verse 13, he says, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent with the, when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Doctrine? God, you are holy and good. You aren't even able to stand sinfulness. You can't be in the same room as it. Which leads to the faith-filled question, how can you use an evil nation against your people. Let me throw a hypothetical at you. Just to kind of, sometimes when we read Old Testament scripture, it's really hard to put ourselves in shoes, 
right? We, we, we can't understand completely where this is coming from. So let me throw a hypothetical at you. If America was overthrown by a communist nation, what questions might you have for God? Or an evil nation, for that matter, a more evil nation. Wouldn't you be asking similar questions to Habakkuk, as Habakkuk? How would your faith be challenged if God allowed a communist or socialist country to invade and conquer America? How would it affect your faith? A modern question that we often hear is, if God is good, why does he allow evil to exist? It's essentially all of this wrapped up. It's doctrine, what we believe about God. God is good. He's a good God. So why does evil exist in our world? That's essentially what Habakkuk is, is saying. He's acknowledging God, from everlasting, you are good and, and righteous and, and holy. How can you do this? And he moves on from this question as he's raising this up to a charge in verses 14 to 17. He says, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. Let's pause there. What is he saying? He's back at saying, God allows mankind to act foolishly. What does this reveal? Doctrine, man has free will. Doctrine is full right here, if we actually dissect this, right? We know that God allows man freedom of choice, free will. So God allows man to act foolishly. Verse 15 he says, he, which he's referencing specifically when he says he brings all of them up with a hook. He's specifically referencing Babylon, more specifically Nebuchadnezzar. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Historically, what was happening here, just to give you context, is Sometimes captives, when they were taken away into captivity, they would be taken away with a hook in their nose to show that they were a captive. This was both humiliating and painful. So when he says that he brings all of them up with a hook, that's what he's referencing, the hook in the nose. They're taken captive. Histo uh, archaeologists have actually found in the Mesopotamian area that there are rock reliefs that portray prisoners in nets being hauled off to captivity, etched in the stones. Habakkuk knew the day. He knew what the, the way of the Babylonians were. He goes on in verse 16. He says, Therefore he, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, sacrifices to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. He's crying out to the Lord. He says, Babylon worships their net. They don't even worship you. They worship their nets and their weapons, which provide victory in battle to them. 
which allows them to live this lifestyle that they like to live, which is just idolatry. And then he wraps up this charge in verse 17. He says, is he, again, Babylon or Nebuchadnezzar, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So all that doctrine, boom, faith-filled question. Which basically summarized is, if God isn't going to stop the evil Babylonians, who will? How long, Lord, is this going to happen? Another question is, where is God's justice in all of this? And how can God tolerate all of this? These are all good questions that Habakkuk is wrestling with. And quite honestly, we are wrestling with similar questions. They might not be these exact questions, but they're very similar. After bringing this charge to the Lord... (laughs) In chapter 2, verse 1, he kind of, in his indignation of of the Lord's response and getting all worked up, he he kind of realizes kind of this charge he brings to the Lord. He goes, I'm going to go sit in the watchtower and I'm going to wait my (laughs) rebuke from the Lord, Uh, which is is what happens here in 2, verse 1. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. Watch post here simply means a lookout in the defense system of a city's walls. Habakkuk brings this complaint with doctrine, right? He, he supports this complaint with doctrine, what he believes about God, which leads him to these faith filled questions. And then he goes and waits for the Lord's response. He goes and hides in the relative security of the watchtower as he waits for the Lord to respond. And my question to us is, how often do we ask God or bring questions to God and simply move on without waiting? We bring a complaint, we bring a question, and we just, we we don't wait. We just keep going and we go, well, God didn't answer that one. Guess he doesn't care. How often are we actually waiting and listening for the Lord? See, Habakkuk shows us that he knows God will answer him. He knows God. Personally, it's his his Elohim. He understands that God is personal. And in that doctrine, in that belief, He's able to say, I'm going to ask you these questions, and I have faith and understanding that you will answer me. Do we believe God answers our concerns today? Have we lost faith and sight that God is still at work today? God still answers We live in a busy world, you know? Uh, this generation, everything's 
quick, quick information, quick bites, swipe, 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 right? It's fast. It comes at them fast. They, we have a generation that doesn't know what it means to sit and wait and listen. They'll sit down, they'll sit down and wait and listen and be like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. When are you going to talk, Lord? When are you going to give me the an answer? And they, they, can't, they can't sit still. I have a hard, I'll admit, I have a hard time sitting and waiting on the Lord. Sometimes, sometimes it takes a long time to sit in his presence and wait. But that doesn't change my doctrine. That doesn't change what I believe is true about God. We've been singing a closing song that says, even when we don't see it, he's working, right? Do you believe that, that God is still working even when we don't see him working? Is that a doctrine you hold on to? Is it a set of beliefs that you can be at peace with? Because Habakkuk did, and Habakkuk knew God. Good doctrine, sound doctrine, leads us, should lead us to faith-filled questions. And out of those faith-filled questions, when we wait and we listen, spiritual growth happens. Our faith grows. We grow in the Lord because we, we experience. That's how growth happens. Good doctrine leads to faith-filled questions, which leads us to spiritual growth. Would you pray with me as we close our time in the Word? Heavenly Father, Lord, I just, I thank you for this, this book of Habakkuk, Lord, that uh, seems more relevant to us in these days than maybe in the past. I thank you for the example of your prophet who boldly stood on what he believed to know is true in you and asked you some really hard questions, Lord. Thank you for the example that he laid before us so that later generations could read and say, wow, here's a prophet that got a word from God and argued with him. Lord, I pray that as we cement our faith and belief in you and what we believe to be true in you, Lord, I pray that as we compare that to what we see in the world, Lord, that it leads us to these faith-filled questions. And Lord, ultimately, that it would bring growth to your church, to your people, your bride, Lord, that we may know you more completely. Lord, we have a generation, we have a community around us, Lord, that needs to know you. To needs to know that they are lost without you, Lord, and that you bring peace, you bring healing, that you bring safety, you bring salvation, Lord. There are so many things, Lord, that, that your word reveals about who you are, your nature. Lord, Light the flame in our hearts once more 
to be on mission with you. Help us to see the loss the way that you do with compassionate hearts, with a broken heart. Because your heart is not just for your church, it is for the nations. Help us too, Lord, to have your heart. It's in your name we pray. Amen.